Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. We're in Torah study number 20 uh, and teaching out of Exodus 27 through Exodus 30. And this is the teaching that God presents uh, on the role of the high priest. And so today, uh, we're going to take what God gave in the Old Testament and talk a little bit about that, but then we're going to harmonize that with the New Testament and speak about the revelation of Jesus as our high priest. Amen? And so, uh, uh, beginning back in Exodus... Uh, the high priest had a responsibility to be the mediator between God and man. And especially in regards to worship in the tabernacle. He was the main custodian of the anointing. All the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, participated in one way or another. And that's a picture of you and I today. We're not the high priest... But we are in the priesthood. And because we're not just believers, we're kings and priests, Revelation 1 says. And and so, in the Old Testament, when there was a tabernacle, when there was a temple, the high priest and the entire Levitical priesthood were stewards over the customs, the rituals, the practices, and the ceremonial aspects of what went on with the tabernacle and temple experience. That included all the sacrifices. And as we've talked about many, many times, when uh, in the Old Testament, when you brought a sacrifice, it wasn't a drive-by sacrifice. You dropped your lamb off at the door and sped away quickly because I don't want to know what happens next. You walked in through the gates. That's why we went through last week tabernacle prayer, and I did bring a few more handouts from last week. Uh, and you walked up the ramp to the brazen altar, you stood next to the priest who had the knife, and uh, in, me- in many teachings, the priest handed the knife to you. <laughs> and you were the one that slayed the lamb. That would lim- If we did that today, that would limit a lot of sin. <laughs> I ain't going through that again. <laughs> I'm going to live righteous and holy because the last thing I want to do is keep going through that again. So in the study of the priesthood, uh, and especially the high priest, they were there to uh, maintain a structure of sacredness. You know, we all love visitor-friendly We all love casual when we come to church. And yet, when we step into the campus and into the church, something should transform us in our minds that we're on holy ground. And that I'm coming before a holy God 
who has a certain way he likes things done. And I just can't manufacture worship the way I feel like it. Because I'm not living by feelings, I'm living by faith in how God lays it out in the Word of God. That's why the devil fights so hard against people carrying Bibles. Amen? Because he doesn't want people to read the Bible and get acquainted with how God does things. Because the more acquainted you are, the more empowered you are. Amen? So, by maintaining this structure of holiness, of sacredness, this ensured the presence of God. Right? And that's why God says, Old Testament, New Testament, be ye holy as I am holy. That doesn't mean we're stuck up sticks in the mud, self-righteous people. It just means we're an unusual people. That we don't walk to the beat of the world's drum. They're trying to force you right now to walk in a secular way. That's why for a couple years, and even now, they keep trying to resurrect this whole COVID thing so that they can continue to impose standards that could eventually shut the church down. But casinos are essential, but the church is not. Liquor stores are essential, but the church is not. Excuse me? And then we're expected just to sit down, shut up, and don't say a word about it. That's not how we roll at New Beginnings. Now, maybe there's a lot of churches that roll that way, but we are a fighting church. We are a prayer warrior church. We are signs, wonders, miracles, believing God that the Word of God is true, and we are going to fight for our First Amendment right of freedom of Christian worship. Not everybody likes that. Just be quiet, shut up, get over to the side, and don't be putting me into your Christian realm. Well, okay, you don't have to go into that realm, but I ain't shutting up, I ain't bending down, slowing down, bowing down to bail. All right. So, back then... They were guardians of an anointing, of the power and presence and promises of God. You and I are guardians of the power, the presence, and the anointing of God, especially in our homes, right? But anywhere we go, even on your job, well, you can't pray on your job, oh, you want to (laughs) bet? You can't pray in the cafeteria, oh, you want to bet? Now, we're not doing that to be obnoxious. We're not doing that for show. We're doing that because we are guarding the presence of God in our lives. And how many of you know, like, I don't know if you have children or grandchildren, but I don't know if you've noticed what kind of teaching goes on in America's schools right now. You better want the presence of God in your home. You better want the anointing of God in your home. You better want to be more than a secular carnal Christian because they're trying to teach boys that they might not be boys and girls, they might not be girls. And there's this gender... That's the devil trying to turn Genesis 1 upside down. 
God created man in his image, male and female, he created them. So the devil hates that and he's trying to confuse that and he's having a little bit of success. Not on our watch. (laughs) Say that down in Blanco, not on our watch. So in, in a sense, and we, this is why we transition, transition from being a believer to a disciple. Believers live at John 3.16, that's about it. But if you're working towards and maturing towards being a disciple, there's a whole lot more in this book than John 3.16. If that's all you got, that'll get you through the pearly gates. But I'm not planning on being the thief on the cross. I've been doing this since 1984. And I've realized there's a whole lot more that we need to learn and so that we're equipped and empowered to live a victorious Christian life. For instance, I mentioned this, Revelation 1.5. If you have your Bible, go over to Revelation 1.5. You're not born into a priesthood like the sons of Aaron. But you are born again into the priesthood. And the Lord himself says to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us, what does your Bible say, kings and priests. Because of your born again experience, yes, you're a believer, But you're also a king. And you're also a priest. To his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So originally God only recognized descendants of Aaron as priests. But now we have an eternal high priest. His name is Yeshua, Jesus the Christ. The Messiah. We're grafted into the priesthood. Now you're not going to get that in every church. Every church doesn't want you to know that you're a king and a priest because all of a sudden you'll take on a new level of awareness, a new level of anointing, a new level of empowerment, and not every church wants you walking around empowered. The government sure the heck doesn't want you walking around empowered because you can't be controlled. Now, by faith in what Jesus has done, his death, his resurrection, we're not only adopted into God's family, we're born again into a royal line. (laughs) Man, we need that revelation. That way, when the devil comes or the government comes, it's like, what did one of the presidents say? Uh, the, the, the worst words you could ever hear is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> okay. We're born again into a royal line. We're not only part of the body of Christ, we're part of God's priesthood. We're committed to serving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. 
And the second commandment is likened unto the first. We're committed to serving our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. Love God, love people. Serve God, serve people. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And it's a divine assignment. Boy, I wish more people realized that you were like one of the Blues Brothers. I'm on a mission from God. Right? Have you ever seen the Blues Brothers? I'm on a mission from God. That's right. They're prof- Those guys are, are, are prophets. You're on a mission from God. You have a divine assignment. So it means because of this, you know, we have certain standards we follow. We have a vision for our life. We have priorities that include WWJD. <laughs> Amen. It's not WWAD. What would Amazon do? <laughs> that includes studying to show ourselves approved, walking worthy of the calling of God in our lives. Yeah, and you don't get it all on day one. You don't even get it in the first year. You're in a master's degree program. (laughs) He's the master, and he has something he wants you working on. So it's a lifelong journey. It's a great adventure. Who would testify today that you are on a great adventure serving the Lord? Mm Mm-hmm. Amen. So beginning with Aaron, Aaron was Moses' older brother. I've got a brother? (laughs) Yeah. uh, Moses, your older brother is Aaron. He was appointed the very first high priest. And each generation from that very first generation would hold this role of high priest in the highest regard. This is one of the key reasons why God decided, I am going to dress the high priest in some very snappy clothes. I'm going to make the high priest a snappy dresser. I'm going to dress him for success. He is going to look, he he just didn't go to K&G. I've been to K&G many times, and this is probably from K&G. But he went, we're going to send the high priest to the Hong Kong tailor. (laughs) Made out of silk. (laughs) This guy's going to be silk. The Bible says that the high priest was dressed in garments that were glorious and beautiful. In fact, go over there with me to Exodus 28 verse 2. See, God wanted every time the people would see the high priest, God wanted uh, the people to realize just how honored this role was in his eyes and how much the high priest should be respected and revered. And in Exodus 28, 2, it says, Make sacred garments for Aaron that are glorious and beautiful. 
Instruct all the skilled craftsmen whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. Have them make garments for Aaron that will distinguish him as a high priest set apart for my service. Amen. That's been transferred to some degree to you and I. Now we're meant to be clothed in righteousness clothed in the glory of God in the sense of uh, that our lives are a living testimony and a living example of the glory and goodness of Almighty God. Now that doesn't mean everything's perfect all the time. Sure, we make mistakes. But it's not about making a mistake. It's about saying, Lord, forgive me for that mistake. Restore me and help me do better the next time. And how many times will God allow you to do that? Seventy times seven, which means infinity and beyond. Amen. According to ancient wisdom, one of the secrets to the glory and the splendor of the high priest's clothes was that each garment conveyed an aspect of atonement and forgiveness. In fact, uh, uh, during the Yom Kippur uh, season, he would wear eight unique pieces or articles of clothes. And each one in ancient Jewish wisdom was a sign or symbolic of another aspect of redemption for one of eight major sins. So when Israel would see these eight garments, and it was God that decided he should have the eight garments, they didn't invent that on their own. So it's not some kind of legalistic mumbo-jumbo. Ancient wisdom says that those garments would put God in remembrance of his mercy. My mercies are fresh every morning, saith the Lord. Yeah? My mercy, Pastor James said, is even greater than my judgment. God's not a harsh judge ready to throw the book at everybody. And especially when we understand what we need to do when we mess up, make mistakes, we miss the mark, if we'll figure out God's pattern then we'll receive the mercy, the forgiveness, the redemption that much quicker. That's why a lot of times people go through guilt and condemnation. Because they're messing up, but they won't do anything to come before the Lord and say, Lord, help me stop messing up. You're not opening your door, the door of your heart. You're just staying in your circumstance instead of realizing, OMG, what have I done? Father, forgive me. I didn't know what I was doing. I lost my mind. Temporary insanity. But I pray for repentance to come into my life. Forgiveness to come into my life. Let let there be an atonement, a reconciliation that happens so I can do better the next time. Eight is the number for what? New beginnings. Eight transcends the natural into the supernatural. 
And you can only be forgiven and, and cleansed on the inside by a supernatural impartation from God. Right? You can't do like Aaron Rodgers and go into a little darkness den <laughs> for four days of darkness trying to figure out your life. God love Aaron Rodgers. But that ain't going to cut it, right? During Passion Week, there'll be people in different countries that will crawl on their hands and knees for miles trying to receive repentance and forgiveness and atonement. They'll flagellate themselves with a cat of nine tails. If I beat myself and and, uh, crawl a certain way, then God will recognize that as true humility. We don't have to do all that. With sincere faith, with a sincere heart. Father, forgive me and put me on a path to holiness, godliness, righteousness. And God honors that by faith. So it's a new beginning. Atonement. Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. The high priest changed his garments eight times to emphasize a transformation from the natural physical realm into a higher spiritual dimension, an elevated level. This is what God wants to happen in the church. This is why He's sending revival to college campuses and beyond right now. I need to fan the flame so that people are hungry more than just being a carnal Christian to being a committed Christian. So the high priest, he's covered from head to toe. I wish I would have thought to put a picture up there. So we're taught that the tunic covers most of the priest. That atones for murder and bloodshed. In uh, ancient wisdom, the tunic atones for murder and bloodshed. The pants atone for sexual transgressions, immorality. The turban worn on the head atones for pride and haughtiness. Pride comes before a fall. The belt around the midsection atones for the sins of the heart. The breastplate atones for errors in justice, in judgment, errors in judgment, and corrupt justice. Boy, that's a, that's a good one. If you feel like you have been treated with injustice on your job or in the legal system or in some other way, like maybe you have an insurance settlement pending and the insurance company is corrupting the settlement so you don't get what's due for you, you need to begin to claim something out of the Word of God. The breastplate of righteousness that covers the high priest's heart is covering my case right now. And what the devil is trying to hold up, I bind and rebuke and declare that curse is reversed and that blessing that is due to me is released. Oh, but the Old Testament's all just filled with legalistic mumbo-jumbo. Yeah, right. Who's been your teacher? The ephod, the apron, atones for idolatry. 
The robe atones for Shan Harah, which is the evil speech. The words that you have spoken contrary to the word of God. Every idle word that Jesus refers to is atoned for, but you need to recognize it, and I'll show you here in just a minute, you need to claim that. Finally, the eighth thing, the high priest's crown atones for arrogance. That feeling of superiority. I already know that. Why are we talking about this? I already studied that once. So all of this, the takeaway is, yeah, sin is serious. It was serious then. It was serious in the times of Jesus. It's serious now. But there's always atonement. There's always forgiveness. There's always redemption. You can't commit the unpardonable sin in God's eyes. Yeah? And they're a shadow of good things to come. The, the atonement uh, that's uh, spoken out of the close is a shadow of good things to come through the Messiah, through Yeshua. Namely, that His redemptive work, redeeming us from all of these sins, would be eternal. That His sacrifice once and forever solves that problem. But it only solves that problem when you come to Him and confess that problem and repent of that problem and receive forgiveness from that problem. Then the curse is broken. And then what the damage that the devil's tried to inflict becomes minimized. That's a big part of Christianity is learning and studying and praying and confessing to begin to minimize the damaging, destructive effects of the devil. Why does this thing keep happening to me? Because you're not minimizing the effects of that in your life. Why does this thing keep recurring? Because you don't understand the principles of faith, the principles of atonement and redemption. You play a role in that. And if you're not involved in that, if you're just thinking abracadabra stuff, that ain't going to work. Right? If you're just at the John 3.16 level, you have a certain amount of salvation, but you don't have all salvation. Work out your salvation, the apostle said. And, and you know, I mean, this is probably true in every generation, uh, but, you know, there's an 80-20 rule. An 80-20 rule. 80% of the people don't want to... I don't want all of that. I bet you you're part of the 20%. Otherwise, you wouldn't have got up early to be here. And on and on. So, the Messiah is high priest did a once and forever thing. To forgive every sin, break every curse, and reconcile us to every one of God's promises. That's called atonement. At one minute. I am no longer separated from the presence, the power, and promises of God. 
But because I'm applying these principles and concepts, now I am at one with God. And when you're at one with God, the devil may try a whole lot of stuff to deceive you and get you off your game, but as long as you're focused, you got vision, you're doing the right stuff, it's minimized. There'll be times, yeah, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, but you know what? In the end, you'll win as long as you don't quit. So Jesus didn't come to abolish the role of high priest. He came to take it to the highest possible places because his work is eternal and everlasting. Let me read this. Go with me to Hebrews 9. In Hebrews 9, this is a little bit lengthy, but... Uh, It's very descriptive. Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. We'll get to what that means in just a minute. There's a lot of good things out there that people aren't uh, experiencing right now because they don't understand the principles of faith. Christ has entered that greater and more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With His own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, He entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls, The ashes of a red heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. The old system worked. Jews didn't invent the old system apart from what God told them to do. They were doing exactly what God told them, and it worked! But it was only temporary. It pointed them to something greater's coming. Verse 14, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered Himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. This is why He is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. So that all who are called can receive the internal inheritance God has promised them. Boy, there's a lot to unpack there. But one of the big differences and one of the big blessings of having Jesus as our eternal high priest is that he transformed the sacrificial system. We don't have to come to the temple anymore and stand with the priest as an innocent lamb is sacrificed on the altar. We receive it by faith. That's why it's a better covenant. Christians have a luxury in that we can identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus by faith in order to receive our forgiveness and atonement. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) I like that. When Jesus was resurrected, 
He went to the heavenly tabernacle and sprinkled his own blood. The sinless lamb of God, blameless, innocent, sinless, went to the heavenly tabernacle and sprinkled his blood on the heavenly altar how many times? Seven places Jesus shed his blood. Hebrews 7, go to Hebrews 7.22. He is, Jesus is, by virtue of this fact, Himself the living guarantor of a better agreement. Human priests have always been changing, for death made a permanent appointment impossible. But Christ lives forever. And he possesses a priesthood that needs no successor. This means that he can save fully and completely those who approach God through him. For he is always living to intercede on their behalf. For the sake of time, we'll we'll stop there. But there's more in that chapter to read about the revelation of the high priest, Jesus Christ. In the old days, Aaron and the high priests that followed him, they ministered redemption, atonement, forgiveness. It worked. Even with the blood of bulls and goats and the red heifer ashes, it did work. But it was only temporary. God's master plan included sending Jesus as the Lamb of God to handle it once and for all so that we wouldn't have to be going back to the temple, some more than others. (laughs) Scott, you got to quit showing up at the temple every couple days, man. What the heck are you doing out there? It's like Vince Lombardi said. Hey, what the heck is going on out there? Jesus earned the right to bypass the established structure because he has a resurrected life. (laughs) When your life is resurrected, you can bypass a whole lot of stuff. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says, is in you. Which means you can bypass a whole lot of junk. If you want to, you just got to get certain things in order. And you probably have gotten a lot of things in the right priority and in the right order. But if one thing is a nagging, vexing thing, that keep, there's an answer to that. And some of that answer is probably found in today's teaching. So Jesus enters into the once and for all sacrifice. He's resurrected, and now He's at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for our lives and our destiny. Oh, thank you. I mean, at this very moment, hard to imagine. Hard to get a picture of what's happening in heaven right now. What's happening in heaven right now isn't, well, there's a white side, and there's a black side, and there's an Asian side, and there's a Hispanic side. No, it's all, everyone's on the same side. 
And they're all gathered before the throne of God, worshiping and praising and glorifying the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And part of that is because He ever lives to make intercession. He's forever releasing forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation. He's forever breaking every curse, removing every obstacle, every weight, every bondage of sin. He's forever releasing every covenant promise, every blessing into your life. And He's forever interceding for you that God's perfect will be done in your family as it is in heaven. So since Hebrews 4.14, so since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced every testing that we faced. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Come on. Good stuff. The veil between God and man has been rent from bottom to top. And now you and I, because we have a high priest interceding for us, who's paid the price for us, we can approach God the Father, who's a gracious God. He's not looking to throw the book at people. Right? He's long-suffering. He's not willing that anyone go through all the, the junk that goes on in the world. And yet, we just can't look at God as genie. Come on, God. Oh, I, three wishes? I wish for a million wishes. It, it, it doesn't work that way. It works while you build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, studying to show yourself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth, and a 101 other things. Well, that's too much for me to do. Well, then don't expect much victory. You don't put much into it. Don't expect much. I'm watching the NFL Combine. And I I keep hearing the same thing from all these guys that are wanting to achieve their dream uh, of being an NFL athlete. I trust the process. I got a coach around me, and I go train on a regular, and I trust the process. Christians don't want to be in a process. I want to come and go as I please, and I just want to kind of, you know, uh, you know, hang out for a couple hours and then uh, do what Fleetwood Mac sang about, go my own way. As we close, here's one last thing. Jesus is authorized to administer the covenant blessings based on your confession of faith.
as high priest, whoever lives to make intercession, he is authorized to administrate the covenant promises of God in your life based on you and your confession of faith. Look at Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3, 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. This says that Jesus is the high priest of our confession. In other words, he is ordained as high priest to put into effect, to execute, to intercede, and to carry out the promises from the Word of God based on what we're praying and confessing. Come on, Jesus, do it! I already did it. Now I'm high priest, and now I want you to do something. But the people I see on TV says there's nothing I have to do. They keep telling me, preachers, there's nothing I have to do. Well, there's nothing you have to do to make heaven your home. But at least that, you still have to confess and believe something, that Jesus is Lord. But what about healing? What about miracle breakthrough in your career, in your finances? What about divine favor? What about reconciliation in your family? And on and on and on. Jesus is the high priest of our confession. This is why Hebrews 4.14, which we read, says, Let us hold firmly to what we believe. Why would I have to hold firmly to what I believe? Because that's faith. You're believing something. You have a, 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 a trust in some, somebody's word. Hold firmly to what you believe about what the Bible says about the promises of God. Why? Because what you believe is probably going to be what you speak. Another word for confess. This is why Hebrews 9.15 teaches He is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. Mediates. He's helping bring things to pass that God has promised through His intercession, but He's looking for a partner in faith so that all who are called can receive the internal inheritance. The eternal inheritance just isn't heaven as our home. That's, that's the big one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the big one. But what about all the other ones? So what does this all mean? It means as a Christian, if you're speaking and acknowledging and confessing the covenant promises of God in faith, then all of heaven gets behind you to accomplish it. What a deal! On the flip side, if you don't realize any of this, well, my church never talks about this stuff. <laughs> Man, that's a, this is a big part of our Christian life, and if that's missing, you got a hole in your faith. If you don't realize it, you, you'll fall into the trap of continually confessing 
the circumstances. The negative things that keep happening, you'll just, well, it's flu season. I was watching the Pfizer's commercial, and if I, you know, if I don't get this shot, I'm gonna die, but then their side of it, if I do get this shot, I might die. Forget all of that. I serve the great physician. I bind COVID. I bind sickness. I bind every infirmity in the name and by the blood, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. Now, Jesus can administrate that. Let's say you become accustomed to just sitting there talking about sickness all the time. You spend your time talking more about your illness than you do about the power of God to defeat that illness. You'll never reverse the curse that way. Because Jesus can't get behind you to help you if that's your confession. He's the high priest of our confession of faith. He's not going to confirm the word of sickness, disease, and poverty and failure in your life if that's all I hear coming out of your mouth. How can I bless that? He's not the high priest over sickness, per se. He's defeated sickness. He's the high priest over healing and health. Understanding that is, is a big big part of Christianity. Hebrews 13.15 says, Through Yeshua, we should always bring a sacrifice of praise. That is, words that acknowledge Him. He's not the giver of sickness. He's not the, the giver of poverty. He's not the giver of depression. He's not the giver of racism. He's not the giver of all these negative things in the world. He's the giver of life. He's the redeemer, the overcoming, conquering king who's defeated death and sin and the devil and all the evil work that come. He's come to give us abundant life. He's, he's the high priest over the confession of abundant life. That's why the Bible says, let the weak say, I am strong. Oh, come on, somebody. Let the poor say, I am rich. The minute we begin to praise the Lord for all His promises, Jesus begins to administer the blessing. Well, how come it just didn't happen by 5 o'clock? Because it took you 10 years to get into this problem. There's a few things to work out, but if you'll stay with it, they'll get themselves worked out. I can assure you of that. I'm a living testimony to that. Do you get that? He's not the high priest over sickness and disease and poverty and sin. He's the high priest over our confession of faith for salvation and deliverance and healing and prosperity and every one of God's covenant promises. That's a revelation of the high priest that will change your life. And if you receive that today, here in, in our church in Blanco and everyone else watching by Zoom, give the Lord a big hand clap and seal it with praise.